Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and welcome to episode number seven of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by the Mandolin Cafe. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode number seven of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. That intro music was Billy Strings, Everything's the Same. It's the new single off his new album, which comes out next Friday, which was co-written. That single was co-written by my guest from next week's podcast, Jared Walker. Uh, The album comes out next Friday, and we recorded the podcast to coincide with the release. So next week's podcast will feature Jared Walker. That guy's a killer player. Um, he's great. Uh, I, I was a cool conversation. Um, and we talked a long time actually after the, after the podcast as well. He's a, he's a swell guy and a great player. So that look for that. Look for that next week. Um, speaking of swell guys, last week's guest, Aaron Weinstein's album three by three debuted in the top 10 of the billboard jazz charts. He just posted that today. That is a huge huge accomplishment and if for those of you who aren't familiar with with how the billboard charts work it works by plays of music on uh, streaming sites and purchases of music so if any of you went out there uh, and bought his album or streamed his album um, you guys were a big part in that and that's an amazing thing and um, I want to congratulate Aaron on his success that is huge, and you all should do the same. Go to where uh, if you're on Facebook or, or Instagram, go and congratulate them. Uh, that's, uh, again, it's remarkable, especially in these uh, these times of music, which are tougher for artists. You know, a lot of them get their their uh, money from touring and a little bit less from album sales each each year. It gets down lower and lower, and so to, to be able to hit a chart like that is huge. And I'm sure this Billy Strings album actually is probably going to do the same sort of thing uh, in the bluegrass charts as well, which is really exciting. Um, also, uh, really exciting too, friend of mine, Gina Furtado, killer banjo player. She's got an album also coming out next Friday. I, I would hope you get a chance to check it out. Gina's awesome. She played banjo on some tracks um, that I recorded that'll be coming out in the future. And uh, her her guitar player uh, is is on her touring band is Drew Madelich, who used to be Billy Strings mandolin player. The guy's killer mandolin and and guitar player. So be sure to check those things out. Uh, this week's episode with Scott Titchener was great. Scott's awesome. He's the uh, founder of the Mandolin Cafe. He's the guy behind it. Um, and he, as, as you get to the podcast, there's some other people that definitely help him out as well. But uh, Scott has been really instrumental in shaping a lot of mandolin players' lives and worlds. You're probably one of them if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and I'm actually going to go to the forum and do a little thank you post to him in the next day or so. So if you get a chance, head over to the Mandolin Cafe, and if you see that post up there on the forum, go there and thank Scott. It's a lot of work to do to do something like that. So, And before we jump into the podcast, first real quick, though, I want to mention my other podcast sponsor this week, the wonderful Peghead Nation. Uh, Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. 
PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin and Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist, Bluegrass Mandolin, Jam Favorites, and The Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish, and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation to tab, and play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. One word, no plural, and no word and, just MANDOLINBEER. Um, just again... I want to thank everybody who's been tuning in to the podcast and listening, who's subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, please just click the subscribe button. You can go to my website and check out where I'm playing if you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area. Website's mandolinsandbeer.com. I also got a merch page on there, and I got a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash mandolinsandbeer. There's two different levels. Also, don't forget to check out the Spotify Mandolins and Beer playlist if you like some of the tunes that you've been listening to on uh this podcast the full versions are on the spotify playlist and then finally thank you all once again so much for listening i really really mean it from the bottom of my heart keep the emails coming the contact page is on the website Uh, i really really appreciate the just all the kind words you guys are the best so thank you so much and let's get into this podcast with scott thank you and cheers everybody have a great week and now I'd like to welcome to the Mandolins and Beer podcast, Mr. Mandolin Cafe, Scott Titchener. Scott, how you doing today? Hey, Daniel. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to, good to hear from you. Doing Thank great. you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. This is, uh, this is exciting. I think a lot of people, um, you know, I've done, I think I've probably done 10 interviews, only three have aired so far, but your name and the Mandolin Cafe come up in every single, every single interview. So it's it's exciting to talk to the guy behind it. I hope they're all good comments. They're all great. Yeah, they're all. I mean, you know, for the but most I could, part, I could, for the most. Part. <laughs> there were a couple on it. Oh yeah, no, no, it's it's great. You know, it's such a it's it's such an incredible resource for people to have access to. Um, I mean, for me especially, you know, obviously I'm not anywhere near the level of some of these people that I've been talking to. But I mean, without the mandolin cafe, I don't even know that I would have stuck to playing mandolin because, you know, if whenever I had a question or I wanted to try to figure something out, the resources are literally, you know, a Google search or a mandolin cafe search away. And even when you Google search something, 95% of the time it takes you to the mandolin cafe forum for the answer. So, so that's it's what first off uh, from the mandolin community, a huge thank you for what you do. It's much appreciated. Well. It's it's all fun on this end. That's awesome. So um, let's talk a little bit about you, I guess, to start off. Um, how did you get into mandolin? Well, I kind of backed into it uh, as a as a you know I was always a guitar player, mm-hmm. you know, and my whole my whole musical kind of background was that uh, uh, my mother was a fiddle player, but didn't really play that much around the house. And my dad didn't at all. So he had a couple of brothers and, and they both got really nice guitars and I got this piece of junk <laughs> and, and I was really the only one that ever really kind of made a, you know, any kind of career out of, of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up, I was, I was more interested in being a horn player. And, and oh, so no I, kidding. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know Ted Eshleman, who runs the um, Jazzmando.com, we we have this laugh that <clears throat> you know in order to run a any kind of uh, Mandolin website, you need to be a trombone player first. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, so I was gonna be, you know, at one, I was gonna go to college on a music scholarship, but mm-hmm. I, I was also a, a pretty successful distance runner, and I opted for an athletic scholarship, which I kind of regret a little bit. Um, years down the road, but that's just the way things work out. But as soon as I, so as soon as I got out of high school. You know, I stopped playing a band, and I immediately missed the music. And I had this piece of junker guitar at home, which wasn't that far away. But I, I bought this kind of nylon string guitar and started playing a lot. And then I started playing a lot. And then, you know, the uh, Circle the Unbroken album kind of hit my radar and, and sort of altered my life forever. I was standing by my window Yeah, because I remember hearing it a couple of years earlier, and I just thought that is. I, I remember telling a friend, I said, "That is the worst music I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> and two years later, <laughs> I I was like wearing it out, you know. Oh, that's great. On this thing, they have these things back then. It was called LPs, which <laughs> yeah. stands for laser printer, and they were big and they were black and they spun around circular, and you put this little kind of thing called a stylus that had a needle on it a needle yeah i've seen pictures <laughs> actually actually everybody knows what they are now but but you have to be a hipster to really to really oh, have yeah. one now i think yeah yeah so. and they're still they're, they're like three times and as i expensive. don't have i don't have my i don't have a record player anymore so i'm not a hipster so. <laughs> do you still have your records though no, no, oh man! I I sold them locally to a, a a store that knew a lot about bluegrass and folk music and stuff, and these guys were just they were just beside themselves because I had copies of all this great stuff, you know, you know I had the original Tony Rice guitar album, oh, you know, wow. with the with the with the pastry and the coffee, you know, it was a terrible looking thing, you know, I had the original <laughs> Dan Crary album and. You know, old Doc Watson stuff yeah. and early Stanley Brothers and, the, you know, the early Del McCory and stuff like that. Wow. that's all. How long ago did you sell it? Oh, gosh. It's probably been 20 years. Oh, wow. So oh, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, so the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band got you in there and, and were you like a, like you were playing trombone, were you like a jazz guy then before that? Well, well uh, you yeah. You know, all this stuff in high school, you know, it was kind of like a you know, band, a marching band and then symphonic band kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, so once I got that, you know, once I started playing a lot of guitar, you know, early before that, I was doing lots of finger picking stuff. So I was, I was playing, you know, like Stefan Grossman stuff. I was really into that. Yeah. Anything that I could get. And then, you know, once the flat picking stuff kind of hit hit me in the side of the head, I never recovered from that. Yeah, it's so, so, so good. Anyway, I, so I never finished the story. But um, so I started playing 
just a lot in college. And uh, so right after I got out of college, I moved to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I had this brand new, well, not brand new. I had a new Martin guitar, 47 D18, which I still have. Oh, wow. Nice. And, yeah, God, I love that guitar. I still, still love it. Um, and I was looking for a bluegrass band to play with. And everybody had a guitar player, of course. Mm-hmm. And there, so there was one band that said, we need a mandolin player for the summer for festivals. You know, do you know how to play mandolin? I said, no, don't know how to play. And so the fiddle player loaned me the 70, 1970, I think it was a 71 or 72 Gibson F. Oh, wow. Which was the worst mandolin I have ever <laughs> in my life. It was such a piece of junk. And that's not a diss on Gibson. No, I'm no. Not a, I'm not one of those guys. Yeah, no. People probably think I am just because nah. there's a lot of news about Gibson of late. Yeah, you don't. But it was, it's it, not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anyway, so... I went home and I practiced for about a week and I came back and, you know, I successfully played, you know, the G and D chord, chop chord. They said, okay, you're hired. And, and, uh, and so I played that summer and I really wasn't into it. And then somebody in the thirties, kind of this fat bodied Gibson A models. And it sounded fantastic. Mm-hmm. I and love those old started, A models, man. Yeah. And so once I started playing that, I was just totally hooked. So that was, that was, I don't, I don't say when that was, but it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and after that, and then I went and got a, a Rand, I had a Randy Wood, a seventies Randy Wood for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, um, in 1993, I got my first nugget mandolin. What, what kind was it again? I'm and, sorry. Uh, well, I said in 1993, I got my first nugget mandolin. Nugget, nugget. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. And I s- still in playing nuggets i've had uh two oh wow and so i've got the, the one i've got currently is is uh, just a beautiful red spruce top nugget deluxe and i am nice. the i possess the world's only nugget tattoo as far as i know oh do you really yeah get out of here that's that's awesome and and the fern so get out wow that's cool man yeah yeah those nugget mandolins are they are they just every one I've ever heard is just they sound so good. What a what a great instrument. Well, I'm, I, I've never been one of those guys that says you know to me the best mandolin in the world is is what the owner thinks it is. So I yep. want I uh, I 100% agree with that statement. It's great to hear you say that. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, ninety-nine percent of the people that play mandolin play for the the enjoyment, right? And and why not get the thing that you love? And if it's two hundred bucks and you love it, it's no better, no worse than the guy that spends twenty thousand or or hundred and fifty. You know, if you get a lore right. or something. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and I love a lot of high-end mandolins. I love. Steve Gilchrist's work, and oh, I love Lynn Dudenbostel's work, and God, there's just there's so many good builders right now. It's just it's sickening. Yeah, it's it's, just, it's wild. And there's guys that are just not on the radar that are great. Yeah, you can go to some festivals and play some incredible instruments um, by some names you might not even know. Um, and even the uh, lower end uh, mandolins now are starting to become of better quality than they've ever been. I think. 
Right. And, you know, some of the, some of the um, folks that are building a lot of mandolins that, um, you know, Eastman and Kentucky, those are, those are really nice mandolins for the price. Absolutely. Uh, that same work 10, 15 years ago, boy, it's hard for me to love that, but now they've got it going. I just think Eastman is, is killing it. And I think the guys at uh, Kentucky are, are doing a fantastic job. And, yeah, I and agree. And there are others, um, you know, but those two kind of stick out in my mind. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think they've been, they seem to be the ones, I mean, with technology has gotten so much better, but they seem to be the ones that also respond to feedback, you know, whenever I hear people talking about those instruments, Eastman and Kentucky, it seems like each time they come out with a new model or upgrade a model, it's significant improvement over the one before it. So, so you start, so 93, so what, when did you start the Mandolin Cafe? Was that in 95? 95 yeah wow so what did the internet look like in 1995 because i'm trying to think was this even uh, pre-aol discs in the mail every day yeah yeah <laughs> and people like to point out you can still go out and look at early versions of that i i if i could have one wish on the internet it would be that the the, uh, it's called the time machine. Yes. Would, would, would just lose all of its data. <laughs> so, you know, so, so part of the reason I called it Mandolin Cafe mm-hmm. back then was uh, that websites looked like restaurant menus back then, in a way. You know, so you'd have this kind of list, and, you know, there was a certain similarity in. And that mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess it was just a clever name. I, you know, there wasn't anything magical. You know, I didn't have a focus group or anything. <laughs> right, right. So, and I was just, uh, you know, I built it because um, at the time I was doing some freelance desktop publishing and and doing pretty well at it. Mm-hmm. Somebody said uh, I was mastering music, which is a really great store that's about half a mile from me, and they said, "Would you build us our first website?" And I said. I, you know, I didn't know how to charge for it. And so I said, well, I said, let me, let me build something Mm -hmm. for myself first and, you know, see what's involved. So I went to the uh, Mac world in Boston. I think this was in 94 and they had, it was October. Uh, Maybe it was, maybe it was early 95. And they had one book at the entire conference. This is like 80,000 computer users at the the Mac world in, in uh, Boston. Uh-huh. They only had one book on how to build a website. Get out of here. <laughs> so I bought it and I brought it home and I read it twice and I opened up Notepad or, or Simple Text on my Macintosh and started coding away and, and that was that was the start of it. Wow. So that's so. Was that your background? Is that what you went to school for? Was computer stuff, or was it? No, I was I was a business education uh, teacher at high school. So I, I taught this course that they don't have any any longer. It's called typing. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I taught business law and I taught uh, general business, which was the course from hell that they gave the young teachers. Oh, and. Man. I taught accounting, I think. I did that, did that for a couple of years, and I did some coaching. And, and it was the hardest job I ever had in my life. My God, that's, you know, just being a 
high school teacher or a teacher at any level. It's just a yeah. My wife's a uh, college professor, so I can. <laughs> it's a it's a never ending job. It, it's a very difficult, but it's probably the most meaningful job I ever had. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So anyway, I I was really comfortable with keyboards. So that's <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's about the. That's about all I had. And, you know, at that time, there wasn't – you had to educate yourself because you couldn't really go to – you could go and learn programming for, you know, different uh, programming, programming languages. But I, I just dove in and taught myself. So Wow. That's – and how, so how long did it take you to put together, like, from typing in all the coding – because at the time there's no templates. It's not like now where you can go to WordPress. Yeah, they didn't have any. They didn't have any kind of software, which eventually came along. And uh, I, you know, I don't remember. It was a lot of. Yeah, after a while, you figure out that copy and paste is your friend. So. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. And you know, and, and back then having a couple of images on a page was a big deal because everything was over a you know these horrible modems. That, Sounded like old cars starting up or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. So then, uh, ninety-five. When does it really start to, um, like get, start generating like a lot of traffic, or or like where you notice like, oh wow, this is uh. Well, this is, I remember the first day I, you know, they hit this back when the counters were a big deal, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I was watching that there was like 150 people came and I was, I was just like amazed, you know, I thought, sure. wow, there's, there's a hundred people on the internet that like mandolins <laughs> or, or are interested enough. Right. Right. So, yeah. So no, it, uh, it got pretty early. I remember one kind of funny incident. So this was like about 97 and forums were, didn't really exist mm -hmm. widely then. And so I was kind of just, you know, experimenting, and I, I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting, you know, kind of a discussion thing. And so I set this forum up, and I didn't look at it a couple – and I came back like you know, a few days later, and there was like a thousand posts, and I was just like, oh, my God, wow. what is this? <laughs> and I thought – or it was some, some crazy number like that. Yeah. And, you know, I had it all set up wrong, so people were taking out multiple accounts. And, oh, man. You know, it was <laughs> – yeah. It was it was ugly. Oh man! So. <laughs> yeah, I can't but, imagine. Uh, but it started making, you know, and I, I kind of immediately kind of thought, I think I kind of like to do this, you know, for a living someday. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while, but um, so I started making money at it after about about two years, and everybody was really. They were really tough on me. It's like fifty bucks a month. Are you out of your mind? Pay that. <laughs> and but anyway, so I got by that. But it was yeah. it was about ten years ago. So I I had gone through the corporate world and paid my dues, and and I worked for a, a couple of universities doing web development for them. And and so when I finally walked out the door for my last one, that was the end of my commuting days. And, and everything and i have to look back and, that's awesome and and i won't yeah. So I, yeah i i love what i do so yeah and it's tough it's tough to to make those decisions and and you know but again and now you're doing something that you love you know and you know, still yeah, tons it, of work i'm sure 
it was scary as hell to, to walk away from that security of, you know, the paycheck and everything. Mm-hmm. But man, you know, how much is your sanity worth? And right. I know a lot of people that work, I was just listening to, um, your interview with uh, Jenny Lynn and just, uh, which was fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks so much. She was awesome. And I, could, I could hear the misery in her voice talking about, you know, working this day job. Yeah. And I just thought, girl, you did the right thing. You figured out what you wanted to do and you went and did it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I encourage people, you even if you fail, you know, you know what? You're going to fail a lot in life mm-hmm. and it's the best lessons that you're going to learn. So, yeah, everybody's, I mean, failure's frightening and looking at, I mean, I worry about it daily, but at the same time, that's how you learn and grow. You know what I mean? A lot of these lessons that you learn, like if everything was just successful that you did every time, you know, you would never learn anything. You would, you know, yeah. it's just, uh, it's part of the process. You know? Wanting to eat is, is a great motivational tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. I'll show you. <laughs> Um, so let's jump back to some of those. So after the nitty gritty dirt band, um, and starting to play mandolin, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you just started diving into that for you, um, uh, were like, Oh, just blew your mind and really drove you to, to work at it. Well, so you have to remember this is pre-internet. So like yeah. people, a lot of people, uh, the people you're interviewing, uh, you know, don't know that time. So I, I remember playing uh, with an, one of my early bluegrass bands and we would, we were touring a lot. I would go to every record store looking for uh, Homer Jethro's playing it straight and ain't necessarily scored jazz albums. Finally got a really bad bootleg copy of <laughs> Ain't Necessarily Square, I think. And I look for those albums for years, and eBay comes along, and there's one every day. Right. <laughs> and I was just like, it made me sick. Yeah. You know? But, but you know, back when I was really diving into all this, so I was kind of like a maniac at it, um, kind of isolated in Lawrence, Kansas, which is a, a good town for music. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of on this different level, you know, I was, I was trying to find, you know, Vivaldi, you know, mandolin scores. And luckily there was a mandolin quartet in, in town that oh, I cool. befriended. And, but, you know, and then uh, Niles Hokanen's, uh, you know, um, that little magazine came along. Um, you know, there was uh, David Grisman's uh, Little World News. I was just like all over that stuff. You know, I was original subscriber to all of these magazines. And, uh, you know, I, I was just eating everything up that I could, you know, to get on the subject. And, you know, I was trying to learn Charlie Parker, you know, heads on mandolin and, yeah. you know, just whatever I could. Or whatever I could sort of get into, you know, I, I've kind of gone through all these different periods of playing. Um, so that's awesome. It's 
Yeah, it's just kind of, and I just kind of just never came out of that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what um, do you think they're gonna? Is, is there any talk? Do you know of any of those guys ever digitizing any of that? I think some of that stuff. Just a, a lot of people would probably glean a lot of information off those old magazines and stuff. Now that they're, you know, no longer available. Um, I don't. Well, Nail and World News, as far as I know, is still being sold by Dick Spruce, I believe, oh, okay, cool. in California. Uh, Niles, uh, uh, why is the name of that magazine eluding me at the moment? It was just great. It was this kind of eclectic, just crazy thing yeah that was just like and it was what i wanted i mean i love i love bluegrass but there's more to the mandolin than bluegrass absolutely and and we're i i just i just feel now with instagram we're really starting to see you know i'm seeing guys in india you know playing all kinds of crazy stuff and, and and at the same time guys from there playing you know traditional American music. I'm seeing lots of people in South America and Central America, which I knew. I knew those instruments were down there and they were getting played. Right. But now you're starting to see these people, and you know, there's all these great jazz players, Celtic, you know, classical. Just it's it's there's there's no limit to the instrument, which is why I, one reason I really like it. Yeah, uh, same is, here. Is the mandolin somewhat sonically limited compared to a guitar or piano? Yeah. So, right. But that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, and, and just the way to get inventive. I mean, look at a guy like like Aaron Weinstein and his chord melody stuff. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. It's like our Evan Marshall or uh, yeah. There's just so many guys. Yeah. Just so out there. But anyway, getting back to that digitizing that, I don't, I don't see that happening. I, th- I think the uh, Mandolin magazine. Uh, if I could get Jenny to ever return my emails, uh, <laughs> uh, I would. Um, it could happen. I think hers is in digital, but now the stuff was cut and paste. Okay, got yeah, true. I love his books too, man. I used to get his books when I first started playing at um at Elderly. You know, and they're the old, like the spiral bound, and the uh, and that little chord book that he did a long time ago that used to fit in the case. It was about like four inches by two yeah. and a half or something. Yeah, that that remains the greatest mandolin chord book to me ever written because it did. You know, I'm just not. I'm so over these. Uh, you know, ducks encyclopedia of you know six million chords. Yeah, right. Right. My God, you. You know, and you're a beginner and you want to play, you know, say you want to play in your church choir or, you know, you want to play in a jam station. You look, you open the page and there's 75 C chords. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Except the one that doesn't have the root that Bill Monroe used. Because, <laughs> right. <laughs> because if you put that one in there, then you would get all these guys that know just enough theory uh, on a start. You can't, it can't be there. It doesn't have a fifth. And it's like, oh, God. Or I didn't have a third. And I'm just like, go away. Yeah, the so. rules sometimes, the, the, the policing, which um, – which, Theory police. Yeah, theory police. There's a lot of them, a lot of them out there. I mean, and especially... I'm, a guy, I'm a guy and I like my theory. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, I same here. Quite well. I, I can write it marginally, but – Yeah, I'm all okay. about anybody – 
if you want to play and whatever it is you want to play, whatever makes you happy, man. If you're if you're happy just knowing like those these three chords or to just go and hang out in jams, that's uh, that's awesome. Good for you. Go play yeah. out. Go play in a jam. So, that's that's so all you need. I, I, just to, just to wrap up that because I I like to you know I like to tell stories so I get I get I start wandering around. But, yeah. But as far as digitizing a lot of stuff. I don't think it's just going to happen. Oh, another one, Madeline Quarterly, which uh, you know Norman Levine put out for years. That's right. Actually, quite a bit of really obscure, interesting information. Um, Terry Pender was the editor of that for a while, and I think Neil Glad might have been. Uh, I don't even know if people know who these people are. Um, uh, Neil Glad's a, uh, I think he's an archivist at uh, in Washington D.C. at the Smithsonian. I think. Wow. Terry Pender is, uh, I think he's just now retired from, uh, I want to say Columbia, you know, uh, university. Uh, a professor of some kind of music. <laughs> anyway, these people are all, they were all involved in that. And that's another magazine that's just kind of disappeared. And yeah. So, and now you must have seen, so you must have seen some pretty crazy trends in the mandolin world between, I mean, especially with the, with the cafe from like 95 to now, is there any, I mean, are there certain things that you recall thinking like, wow, this is, I can't believe this is, you know, out there. Um, well, there's yeah, so much change. So much has changed. Yeah. I, I think most of it for, for I'm, I'm not a big fan of social media just because, and not because of the good it does. There's, there's just a lot of inherent um, problems with it. Sure. But, uh, so some, some things that have changed, and I, cause I think about this quite a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, in 1985, it was just starting, you know, the, there were some, see, I, I challenged people. I said, okay, name a dozen mandolin builders right now. Okay. Easy. Okay. Now go back 10 years and name another dozen that were building 10 years ago. Eh, it's pretty easy. Now go back 20 years. Yeah. Ooh. Go back 30 years, I'm done. Wow. Now, yeah. now there's, you know, I've got a database over 800, and, and I probably don't have half of them. There's, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised there's a couple thousand builders building instruments. Sure. So, you know, we've kind, we've, we're kind of in the midst of that building renaissance. It, we, it may be over the hill a little bit. I don't know. I can't really tell. But the, one of the most exciting things uh, to me is how many women are just killing it on mandolin right, these days. Oh, for sure. 25 years ago, uh, there was I used to hang out with a, a phenomenal player, Don Watson, who um, was um, she was an instructor at South South Plains College and has the bluegrass program. She was a phenomenal player. But to name three other players at that time that had those kind of chops, I couldn't really do it. But now, you know, you got Katarina Lichtenberg, you got Jenny Lynn, you know, Sierra Hall, Lauren Price, Ashley Broder, uh, Elisa Meyer, Marla Feibish, Sharon Gilchrist, uh, Sarah Juros, who's kind of a multi-instrumentalist, yeah. but is also a phenomenal mandolin player. Yeah, incredible. Uh, Eva Holbrook. I don't even know if you know. Yeah, no, people. no, I do. Yep, absolutely. And I and there's and I see a bunch of kids coming up, uh, young ladies that are just. You can just go, holy! What is going on here? Absolutely. Just, um, and it's 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 a great thing. 
And I think Sierra Hall is just about as good. I, she is to me is just about as exciting a mandolin player as is, is alive today right now. She's I just think I think so she's good. Not only so good, she's on the cusp of I think there's another level of greatness that's gonna come from her. And Katerina Lichtenberg, who, when you guys got up, Mike, Mike Compton told me one time, he's, he said, yeah, I, I, this is a little surprise because, you know, we, we think of Mike as, as, you know, kind of his, got his head in kind of the, the old time. And oh, he yeah. said, she has the best set of right and left hand combination on a mandolin that he had ever seen, he thought. Wow, man. That good. And I That's just That's a pretty high yeah. praise, too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really glad to see it. Uh, I think I've interviewed most of those people on the, I haven't done Eva Holbrook. She's, she's the young girl that plays with shell. It's apparently an acronym. I don't know what it stands for, but she is just a phenomenal player. Yeah, she is. She, um, she, gosh, I'm trying to think of this. The first time I saw her was maybe like a, I don't know if it was like a, a link to like through Weber or, or something like that, but I was just phenomenal. And she, again, she posts some killer stuff on Instagram as well. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I reshared one of her uh, videos and it's, it's routinely kind of up there with the top rated uh, mandolin, you know, what's kind of currently the hottest thing being viewed so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah so I mean, you know there's probably a bunch of other stuff and i'll probably think of it later but, but <laughs> you know just the, the number of fine builders and the sharing of information and, mm. and not just on my site you know there's frets.com where a lot of builders hang out oh sure sure incredible uh good information um you know and i know a lot of the the older Guys that have been doing a lot, you know, Steve Gilchrist will will talk mandolins with anybody, and I know Mike Kimmitzer will. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a I, there's a number of guys that are they're really pushing the boundaries of you know looking for different solutions. You know, there there will always be the uh, guy that wants to build you know a, a lower copy or or you know to use that as their inspiration or something similar. And there will there will always be a market for that, I in my, in my mind. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of guys that are really kind of pushing different styles and shapes and and experimenting. Uh, you know, I you know that's kind of an area. You know, people email me thinking I know a lot about building. I don't. <laughs> you know, I'm I have power tool challenge. <laughs> yeah, same in, here. In my house, I'm the cook. I'm the dishwasher. <laughs> my wife 
is the one that runs the drill and the hammer and screwdriver <laughs> and, uh, and power saw and all that. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, is there any? Is there anything that ever came out that you were like, "This is the," I mean, that's like come and gone, but that was like maybe just like the craziest thing you can think of. That it was like, I can't believe anybody invented this in. You know, I guess I can't even think of anything to com- to compare it to, but I think you've... that I think that already happened. It was the uh, the lump scroll from Gibson in the in the sixties. <laughs> and I, I know I, I, got, I have at least one guy on my unit, so I have to. You know, uh, I will certainly hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> that lump scroll thing, yeah. it's, it's the Edsel of mandolins. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Oh, that's hilarious. But, but if you like it, right. I'm all for you. Yeah, that's it. That's what, I, it all goes, that's what it goes back to. I, man. Like, I like people that have, you know, the thing I, you know, if, they're ha- if it makes them happy, uh, that, that makes me happy. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so you um, you recorded an album in 91, you were saying, before we, uh, I think before we started recording. Is that is that out there anywhere? Is that uh No. No? Because, uh, yeah, I, I, so I did search I, on I Spotify, was... and I did find, though, a track that you did on the, the was it a Baldessari, kind of like a tribute album, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, when uh, Butch, I think that was after Butch passed away, they, um, Somebody sent me a note, you know, and said, would you contribute uh, a song to that? And I said, there's only one song I would play. And that was, uh, it was called A Place in the Heart. We just gave each other a, a lot of grief. He was, I, I love Butch and I really miss him. So I, when um, the guy I was, uh, I, I played gigs with him for like 25 years. His name was Bill Cranehan. He was a phenomenal guitar player, but he was a really important uh, composer. Composed a lot of tunes that are, are played locally, but he wrote this one piece and Butch called me and he said, he said, hey, I'm doing this new album. It's called new bluegrass classics mm-hmm. and i'm looking for do you have any original tunes you've written i said well i got some I, i've done but none that i like but i said but if you want this killer waltz i said i've got it and i uh so this friend of mine bill he wrote it for piano he was playing for me i said that needs to be a mandolin guitar tune so we started playing it and we played it all the time and we used to we we used to call it the you know the the song that made mothers cry at funerals or I mean <laughs> at weddings. <laughs> yeah. Leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> the, the song that makes mothers cry, cry at, funerals. at weddings. So, but Butch, Butch took it and he changed one of the chords at the end. And I just made, ah, I just like, Butch, why? He said, no, nah, you're playing it all wrong. And I go, I'm not playing it wrong. I helped I help birth this tune. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so 
when I had a chance to put it on the album, Bill was still around and he's, he's since passed away. So I, I put it back on the album and, and it was really a, it's probably one of my favorite things I've ever recorded. Cause it means a lot. That song uh, means a lot to me. It's cause my friend, uh, the, the Reddit, he passed away early from some complications. Uh, yeah. um, so it was, it was a pleasure. It was the last thing I recorded with him. And, and it was the last thing he played on guitar eight hours before he passed away in, in the, Oh, no way. In the hospital. Yeah. Wow. So they called us all up the night before and he was just about to go in hospice for about a week or so. And, and I was, we were going to, two or three musicians we were going to play some music for him, but he was in a coma. So I get there really, and I was playing that tune that he wrote and all of a sudden he wakes up and he goes, he talked to his wife. He said, get my guitar. I know that song. Oh, so wow. he tried, you know, he's full of morphine and he'd lost all his weight and, and he was ready to check out. And so we got through the tune at about half speed and he said, still once more, I think I can get it. And he got about halfway through it and said, okay, I'm done. And that was last. That was last uh, song he played, and that was the last time I, I played it one more time in public. That was it. But anyway, so it's that's a long story. That's a beautiful um, story, man. Oh my yeah. gosh, you're like so, kind of teary-eyed yeah. over here. Holy cow, that's amazing, man. So it it made. There's this group down at Winfield, Walnut Valley, called the Carp Camp. That's kind of well known around the country, and so that tune made made that. One year, you know, it was the tune that everybody played all week long. Oh, so everybody's cool. always come up, hey, play that song with me. And I'm just like, no, I'm I'm done playing that yeah, song. That they song is they don't get it. Yeah, that song is retired, story. man. But anyway, so that yeah, so that's wow. uh yeah, if you go out looking for me playing I'm just not somebody that wants to make an albums or mm-hmm. You know, take selfies of myself playing. Sure. I love playing. I do a lot of gigs. I love playing with the guys I play with. I don't care who I'm playing for. Mm-hmm. I've got a gig at the farmer's market tomorrow. I yeah. love that gig. That's yeah. awesome. But if somebody puts, you know, if somebody's lining up chairs to stand and you know, sit in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, that that's kind of literally playing a noisy bar. <laughs> but yeah, you're, but so. there's some great YouTube clips of you out there. There's – um. Uh, this morning I was watching, it was you and a gentleman with a real beat up guitar. Um, not, and by beat up, I mean, old. looks like maybe an old Martin. That's probably Bill. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of looks like an old guy with a you know, kind of balding, a big beard. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff though, man. Great yeah. He was, stuff. He, was a, he was a fantastic uh, guitar player. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I would definitely recommend people search that out on YouTube because a fantastic guitar player, but you guys playing together was, is really beautiful sounding. <laughs> Yeah, you know, having losing somebody like that, it makes you want to reconsider everybody you're playing with. <laughs> sure. Uh, because when that guy died, a lot of my music that I'd been playing for ever died. Like we had this really bizarre, you know, I went through this big long thing doing Bach you know, the Bach French suites in E. Oh wow. And we learned almost all of them. And when he died, that that music kind of disappeared. I finally found an electric bass player that could read that stuff, and so I started playing it with him for a while. But you know, when you if you play with somebody a long time and they pass on, and yeah, not everybody can play somebody else's music. So yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, man, 
That's thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's great. We're we gonna talk about beer. Yeah. We are gonna talk about beer. Before we get to that, though, I do wanna. <laughs> we. Do. So you have you've picked you've picked some great minds over all these years. I mean, you've interviewed some of these great players, and and I'd love to maybe ask you if any pieces of advice stick out to you. Mm, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of hard I, I i always kind of go back yeah, i don't like to teach that much mm-hmm. but i always like to and uh my jimmy Lano was saying keep going back and she said a lot of things that made sense is that you get a metronome just slow it way down you know go half speed get this stuff right you know yeah there was a somebody was telling me a story the other day but when Feely was living in Nashville that they went by the house and he was he was sitting there just playing like it's like brutally slow and they said what are you doing he said I'm trying to listen to my upstrokes <laughs> to see what they you know just really in depth um, but you know if you can't play something slow you're certainly not going to play it fast right right that's for sure yeah. I think a lot of people miss that like I think so many people watch Feely play. Or uh, or Jake Joliffe play, or or even Sam Bush play these incredible speedy things, and and I think the illusion is that yeah they just ah oh, these guys are just so good they don't realize that yeah well it's because they they went back they started slow they learned these things slow just like everybody does you know it's just well and I think part of the way Sam plays which a lot of people say oh what are you doing what are you doing it that way he actually he had an arm injury I read it. and so part of the way he plays is to get around that yeah and, yeah he had broken arm you know, yeah didn't he break his arm and leave Django Reinhardt was a pretty good guitar player and he's my hero and that's what I where my head is most of the time and I love that kind of playing but you know if he hadn't had that injury he wouldn't have played like that right yeah just re- completely so, reinvented a whole <laughs> I mean reinvented like a how to play that style of music a change of people with fully developed hands i don't think if you could people who probably had a six functioning finger couldn't play some of this Django stuff yeah. you know what i mean it's yeah, yeah. As, far as, as far as remembering like a lot of stuff like that i'm not i'm not sure that uh, you know i've done probably i don't know maybe 120 140 interviews wow. maybe I, I just guess i <laughs> so how do i'm you just pro- guessing so you approach you play um you play Django style stuff that's the stuff to kind of gravitate to when you're when you're playing yeah, I'm in a I'm in a four piece Tipsy uh, Jazz group right now. That's just about as much fun as I think I, I, I've ever had. And that the, the whole La Pump, you know, the backbeat yeah. for Gypsy Jazz works great on mandolin. Absolutely. I just don't know why more people are not doing that. Stuff. I remember when John McGann was around. He, you know, because Gypsy jazz players, it's almost always downstrokes. Right. You know, you want to talk about Bill Monroe? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, I have to make a confession. It's going to make a lot of people mad. <laughs> I've never been. I was never really taken 
I really appreciate what Monroe did. Sure. But I don't have any desire to sound like that. Yeah. But I love people that play that way. Absolutely. I just don't want to play that way. But the whole gypsy jazz thing got me really rethinking all that downstroke stuff. So I've some of that is starting to creep into some of my bluegrass playing. I really and when you see somebody like Lauren Price who can just play the dickens out of it. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, both amazing. Of them. It's just like, it is, I, and to me, it's so, man, you know, I kind of grew up listening to like Dempsey Young and guys, I don't know if you know who he is, he used to play with a, a band called Lost and Found. I loved his playing, you mm-hmm. know, Herschel Sizemore. I love that kind of playing. Oh, I love Herschel Sizemore, yeah. And uh, Doyle can do a lot of that down, downstroke stuff. I don't think he necessarily does, but, uh, so how do you um, – so oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just – I was just kind of thinking about all of that. It, it's just like, you know, you think I, – I have a couple of musicians that, that I play with and we joke that music was invented to drive people crazy, <laughs> you know, because you, you're never going to figure it all out. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. <laughs> ever. But that's what makes it interesting. For sure. That, that's so, what drives me. It's like and – the, and, and the ability to like – come across something like i didn't really listen to much Django reinhardt until maybe a few years ago i had to have some back surgery and um i was in bed for a few weeks and for whatever reason i just discovered Django at that point and, and grappelli and was just like what how have i not been immersed in this in my life ever and you're right it just it just seems so like mandolin centric when you listen to that to that backbeat i love it man um, oh, it, Sierra Hole can do a bunch of that stuff. Oh, her she, version of um, oh, oh my god, oh my god. First um, time I saw that, I just went, oh my god, you just you totally ripped Django off, and I love it. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was after you've gone. Yeah, after you've gone. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, like, just like jaw dropping. Good. You yeah, know, she nails it. Sure. When you approach, so when you approach learning a song for that gypsy jazz combo how do you go about like especially for like soloing over some of those um do you have like a a, a, a way you use because there's a lot of cool chord changes in some of that gypsy jazz stuff that's a little bit outside of like a one four five situation and uh, so- a lot of it's uh, uh awful lot of it is based on rhythm changes mm-hmm. you know yep there's a there's a really fantastic book um uh, it's called How to Play Bebop. It's by David Baker. David Baker is probably retired now. He's an old uh, trombone player. Is uh, it bass or trombone? I can't remember. I think he's a bass player. He did this book. It's called How to Play Bebop, Volume 1. And there's some killer exercises. So there are perpetual motion exercises. Mm-hmm. There's two, two of them that I do that basically teach you how to play the jazz scales over 251. Oh, cool, man. And those are priceless. And so it's a lot of chromatic, you know, 
backward chromatic, and then you, you're you're connecting to the next chord with a diminished, you know, pattern. Wow, yeah. A, and I've got I've shared that on the the cafe a bunch of times. And it's just a great exercise. So there's a couple of those exercises that, that really uh, impacted me. Yeah, that's just, awesome. And I, those are the ones that I play with the metronome really slow. When I, I, I like to say I'm a pretty good mandolin player when I practice, but I don't practice <laughs> as much as I should. I think I think everybody has to feel that way. Well, maybe not everybody. Definitely uh, talk to people who put some hours in daily. I'd be like, man, yeah. that's some focus. I, I love learning. I love learning. Trying to learn some of Django's solos, and I've learned a bunch of his licks, and and the ones I haven't licked, I, they influence me. I'm not as influenced by Grappelli's plan, but I love mm-hmm. I love what he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was he swung so hard. And oh it's my just, gosh, it's just so good. Yeah, the feel, yeah, and especially just... sometimes even the speed he would get sometimes and still maintain swing blows my mind. I'm just like, yeah. how do you how do you play at that tempo and still have so much feel when it seems feeling. like it should just disappear I and mean, it doesn't? It's, it's, it's so much feeling. Oh man! Do you have any uh, underrated mandolin players that you are ever surprised by? I don't know if it's like putting on the spot, but anybody who you're like, I'm surprised this person never got never got as much. Um, oh. I know so many players. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I get if you don't want to say any for, yeah. It's not to exclude anybody. It's just yeah, I'm always digging for somebody to turn people onto something new. You know, there's so many good players right now. It's just and and have been. I just it's kind of hard for me to uh, kind of like pick somebody up. Sure, like that. I completely understand. Completely understand. I mean, you do plenty of turning people onto new players by all the things that you post on. Uh, anyway, you you post so much great content on on the cafe that it's it, it. I can't even. I probably couldn't even write down all the people I listen to because I've heard about them through your website. You know, it's it's a lot of times it's just me. You know, something sets me off. Like um, uh, Ashley Broder, who I I knew, I you know I heard her playing, and I knew who she was, and I kind of knew. You know, she's kind of West Coast, and, mm-hmm. and she's she's clear out of the, the whole bluegrass realm. Which which um, you know, that's I'm I'm kind of into everything. I kind of like to keep track of everything, just because I, I I look at the mandolin as as a tool for making music, not, a, not as a tool for making bluegrass. Right. Uh, there's some people think that I'm a this is a bluegrass website. It's not, uh, but actually <laughs> came through town and was playing at a at a like a, a barn dance weekend and, and my neighbor called me up and she said hey there's this girl playing mandolin she's really good and at this event and it's about a mile from my house and I said oh who is it actually Broder and I went oh I know who that is and I went over there and she played some tune I put it on Instagram and I just went holy cow yeah, like, why, why haven't I interviewed her and I just walked her up and you know we met, and you know, a couple months later, I had a had an interview in the can with her. So it was great. She's also got a new project that just came out this year, and um, with a fiddle player. And I can't access my phone on iTunes, but I just ran across it last well, week. I know who those guys. Yeah, I knew that group. I, I, so sort of Americana name. I'll edit that in as well and yeah. play a little hunk of it. But They're it real is. Good.
so now let's get to the beer. Let's talk about beer. Hey. Okay. So, um, okay. Yeah. Are, do you have a favorite beer that you like? Um, or a style? Well, or? I keep coming back to the beer. I, I call it the greatest beer that was ever brewed. Oh. <laughs> see, see, I've got the best mandolin. <laughs> uh, in, in my opinion, it's universally hard to beat Guinness Stout, mm-hmm. but it should be served at a proper temperature. None of this ice cold crap. <laughs> it, should, it should be consumed uh, on the west coast of Ireland. And in a small pub, and those boys will take their sweet time pouring it. They don't mm-hmm. care if there's 10 people waiting. They, if it takes five minutes to pour it right, they will do it. Yes. And it is the best thing ever. I would. I just spent the entire month of June in Ireland and would agree with you 100% and how good the Guinness is in Ireland. It is – it's a new level of people in the U.S. It, it, it's you just can't replicate it here. No, no, you can't. And I play at a, um, I play uh, downtown Charleston at this killer place every brunch Saturday and Sunday morning, and the and the owners are Irish, and they'll even tell you, and they have Guinness, and they've got good Guinness, but they'll even tell you, oh, it's it's nothing, it's nothing like what you're going to get in Ireland. And then when I was right. there, somebody introduced me to. Smittix, which is like a red mm-hmm. ale with a right. with a right. Guinness head. So they fill up right. the Smittix and then they top it with Guinness. Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we walked a lot in Ireland because I would have gained about 15 pounds in 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 all the beer that I drank when I was over there. It was so yeah. so good. Well, and I also live in a college town, which is uh, probably like most college towns in the U.S. Is we have a a growing um, microbrewery explosion underway. Yeah, Uh, but we've had one brewery that that predated all of them by about twenty years, and it's called Free State Brewery. Free State. Um, Free State. Yeah. That term denotes um, where I am. There is kind of the division line between uh, the, the abolitionists and the pro slavery oh, no uh, forces. And so, if you go about five blocks uh, west of me, you're in the free state, and this side is the abolitionist side. So, no kidding. That's wild, man. Lots, lots of history. So, coming through the, the town, you know, there's a whole underground railway uh, stops and Wow, it's, it's an interesting old town, and there was some some prominent stuff from the Civil War uh, or happened here. And if you live here, you understand why the University of Kansas hates everybody at the University of Missouri, and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> sort of tongue in cheek, but not sure, too sure. much. Right, right. Oh, that's hilarious. So, oh man, yeah. Well, cool. Free state and free state and Guinness. Well, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, I this is like dual things. I appreciate everything you've done for the mandolin community. I think um, everybody in the mandolin community would probably agree um, what a resource that you've provided, and it's it's priceless what you've what you've got out there for everybody to go out and access. And thank you so much for all the work that you've put into it, and and you continue to put into it. And also thank you for just all the advice that you've ever given me. I mean, you've been 
so nice via email about everything I've done and and um and I I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I appreciate what you're doing. I uh, you know I I like to say I'm just the I I'm just the bus driver of this thing. So <laughs> most of most of the good that's happening is uh, from you know the people that come through. They're posting on the and the classifieds and the forum and right, right. offering up content. And I've got, you know, I've got some, I've got some great people. I should mention Ted Eshelman who uh, from jazz band, who's yes. kind of our chief moderator and Jamie Stanick and Mike Edgerton, who are both, um, uh, moderators on the forum and, yep, yep, and recognize those names sort of sure. good buddies and uh, Dan Beinborn, who is based in London and is my uh, system administrator. So that's the, and my wife who, if any, anything on the site that looks good, she, she probably did it. Oh, get so, out. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Man. And my daughter, who's a very talented, uh, upcoming photographer and graphic designer, I'm hoping to, that, uh, I can get her to help, uh, help out at some point. Yeah. That's exciting. That's awesome. Like a family affair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love it. That's great, man. Well, thank you for doing the podcast. You're welcome. And thank you. And keep up the good work on, uh, on this. I, I love the, the first three episodes. Oh, and, thanks uh, so much. Thanks so much. Continue supporting you any way I can. Oh, I really appreciate that. You have no idea. Thank you, Scott. And there you have it. Scott Titchener from the Mandolin Cafe. What an awesome podcast. Be sure to go to mandolinsandbeer.com. Uh, to check out the merch page, check out my dates. Uh, please follow me on the Instagram and Facebook pages if you are so inclined. And just click subscribe to this podcast. I really appreciate you all listening. Uh, and you guys have a great week. Thanks so much.